0: I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles open there, I want to start reading at verse 17. And God's inspired and inerrant word reads, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law, And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of the knowledge and the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your being the law, do you dishonor God? Verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh." But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And as we look at this text, Lord, there's a lot here. Would you just clear our minds, clear our hearts Make them receptive for your Spirit that's being among us and through us and indwells in each and every Christian. And Father, would your Spirit illuminate this text so that first, yes, so that we can understand it, but then also so that we can apply it to our life. We ask a blessing this morning, and would we'll ask that you would indeed speak to us here. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's somewhat a sobering topic this morning. I have titled this, I could have titled it many things, but I've titled it A Blueprint of Hypocrisy. And I think it was it's kind of where I want to go this morning, and I think that's the gist of this passage when we look at all these verses. I think kind of the summary of them, if we could take a word from them, we can certainly take a word of hypocrisy from them. Each and every one of us, I'm sure, at times have heard the lament, have heard the complaint that the church is full of hypocrites. And that you're a hypocrite and that I'm a hypocrite, right? We've heard that. And you yourself maybe have called someone else a hypocrite. Hypocrisy isn't just unique to the church, though. We find it everywhere. We find it in politics. It's always used there also, which what do we expect there? And so, but our focus this morning is on the church and the hypocrisy that we know that each and every one of us from time to time can fall into this trap, if you will, of hypocrisy. Ages ago in a speech before Job, Bildad posed the crucial question of human destiny. How then can mankind be righteous with God? Or how can anyone who is born of woman be pure? The biblical doctrine of justification deals with the fundamental issue of how guilty sinners can be acquitted and restored to favor with an infinitely righteous and just God. The doctrine of justification by faith is crucial article of our Christian faith on which the gospel absolutely stands or falls. One leading authority correctly described the doctrine of justification as the chief doctrine of Christianity and the chief point of difference separating Protestantism, and Roman Catholicism. Are we justified by faith alone or by faith plus works? Faith alone or faith plus ethnicity? Faith alone or faith plus right behavior? Faith alone or fill in the blank? we act out of character of faith, we act out of character of what faith requires from us, That is when hypocrisy come in. Hypocrisy and faith can go hand in hand, though they should not. Justification is on trial. Hypocrisy is the accuser. Hypocrisy is just simply, well, if we were going to break it down into its original parts, two parts, it would be under and then it would also be judged, so under judgment we could say. Under judge, under judgment, or, or decide, under a decision that is being made. That's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy has become the known as something of, of playing a part or pretending. It found its way into the theater where it was listed as acting of a theatrical part. Theaters and actors are, hypocr- are, are hypocrites. They're, they're, they're acting out someone that they are not. And in that sense of the word, hypocrisy was originally used. But, of course, it's more and more taking over and taking into other areas. And it's often thought of in a very negative light, as well it should. And that is a behavior that is inconsistent to what a person states or claims that they may have or that they do have. Last week. We looked at how is the Gentile justified? How is the Gentile justified? And in verse 12, we see that uh, it said there that for all who have sinned under or without the law will also perish without the law. And then all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. How is the Gentile justified? How is the Greek, how is the believer, how is the unbeliever justified? You see, in verse 12, it tells us exactly what the problem is, does it not? The problem is sin and law, sin and law. The two go hand in. Without law, we would not know or recognize sin, as Romans 7, 7 would tell us. Outside of sin, we would or outside of the law, we would not recognize or know sin. Sin is the problem. Law reveals the sin to us. In these verses here, verses 17 through 29... Law is used 22 times. 22 times you will find the word law in these few verses here this morning. Law is important to Paul. Law is important to this passage. And the problem is that these folks, this person that Paul is talking to, or the fictitious person that he's describing here, is under the law and behaving counter to what the law has to say. So it's not new, church. It's not new to us today. It was there in the 60s when Paul was writing this letter to the Romans. Hypocrisy is probably the greatest charge against the church, and maybe for good reason. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. And the point is, (laughs) yeah, we understand that. We understand that as human beings, we often will find ourselves wrestling with this idea of hypocrisy. And so today, from these verses, I've got to come down into four headings. You find the outline there in your bulletin. Four headings, the claim, the challenge, the charge, and then the commentary. The commentary, I know it's somewhat generic, but it started with a C, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in those verses there. We'll just make a few comments in that last section. But the claim, the challenge, and the charge, the claim that is being made, we see it in verses 17 through 20. And we could title this this as a subheading of pride. This is the issue that Paul is addressing, and this is the issue that Paul is bringing before this fictitious person that he's having this discussion with. And he starts out with saying right there in verse 17, but if you bear the name Jew... And you rely upon the law and boast in God. Those are three parts there. The first part that we see here is that this person that Paul is having the discussion with, that he's putting on the, on the stand, if you will, is having an issue with thinking that he has or she has the right pedigree. I am a Jew. I am from Judea. I am a Jewish person. I am a chosen person of God. That's what this person is saying. In fact, for good reason, the person could have those thoughts. In Exodus chapter 19, we are told there that now then, if you will indeed obey my voice, God says, and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom and a priest and a holy nation. God has indeed chosen a specific group of people that he has set aside to fulfill his purpose. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 15, it tells us there that on your fathers did Yahweh set his affection to love them. He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples. And so we can understand why this person is thinking that he has the right pedigree. But Paul will continue. The second part of the center part of verse 17. This person is also saying that I have the right theology. I rely upon the law. The law here, of course, is the Old Testament, as we would call it. It's the book of Moses, the prophets, and also the Psalms. It's all of the Old Testament. And uh, he says, I have the right theology. I have the right understanding. I am depending upon the right book. (laughs) The right rules, the right regulations. Exodus chapter 24. We know that that's when Moses, or that's when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them upon the tablet. And he gave them to the Moses for the people to, to pay attention to, or people to follow. God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. And so this man is saying, I have the right pedigree. I have the right theology. And the third, the third right, if you will, in verse 17 is that I have the right theos. I have The right God. Not just any God, but they have Yahweh. They have the one true God. In fact, it was the Shema that every good Jewish person would have grown up in Sunday school, such as we have, saying. And that would be that, hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. This was what they recited over and over and over and over, multiple times a day. Just like we would maybe pray for our food, this is the Shema that they would cite and that they would say, acknowledging that they serve the one true God. And so this person here, this man or woman, is saying that I have the right pedigree. I have the right theology, I have the right teaching, and also I serve the right God. I want to go back to um, the Philippians, because it's interesting that Paul is writing Romans here. And back in Philippians chapter uh, three. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, Paul is saying here and acknowledging here that he too could have been tempted to make these same claims. And I often point to this passage. So in Philippians chapter 3, verses at 4, it says that if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I far more. And he's going to give the list of why he has the right to be more confident than anyone else. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He had the right beginning. And he was of the nation of Israel. He had the right nationality. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was from the right tribe. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. (laughs) He had the right upbringing. As of the law of Pharisee, he had the right standard. As for zeal, a persecutor of the church, he had the right passion and as to the righteousness in the law found blameless, he was, his morality was higher than anyone else's. And yet Paul goes on to say, but for whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If there was anybody who could have claimed the right of anything, it was Paul, the right standard of anything. And here Paul is saying and putting these people on the, on, on the stand saying, you're making a claim that you cannot claim, and now he's going to lay it out for them. Also, what we see here then in verse uh, 18, see, we had pride, and now we have arrogance under this claim. This claim is prideful, and this claim is coming from a position of arrogance. In verse 18, it says that they have a special knowledge. It says that they know his will, and we know his will. We know God's will. They were having some special knowledge. Gnosticism was really a problem of the day Of by having this secret knowledge that's revealed to only certain people, and this is the claim that they're making. We hear it somewhat today, too, right, that we shouldn't pray in such a way that God, according to your will, because we already know the will of God. That's false. Jesus himself prayed, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And here are people that are saying... They got this special knowledge. They know the will of God. Second thing that we see in verse 18 is they had this special ability. They had a special ability. They could approve the things that are essential. Now, this word here, approve, is just a genuineness. It is to put to the test. It is the critical examination. They had this ability to to find out and to test and to examine things that are essential they had, this is the ability that they're claiming that they have. The third thing is they had a special training. You see it there in verse 18. Being instructed out of the law. This word instructed here is they're saying that they had the proper instructions from the law. And the word, the word here for instructed is where we get our word catechism from. It's, it's, it's catecheo, and it's just where we get our, our catechism from that word. You hear it within there, and it's just a systematic way of studying through scriptures. Catechism is an excellent way. That's what our children do in our children's church. They are catechized. They are instructed out of the law. But that in and of itself will not save anyone. It will give you a foundation, but it will not save anyone. It's getting warm here. Is it just me my hot air? You're all warm. You guys are all fanning. Somebody found a heater. That's okay. We'll keep rolling. And so catechism is a way that they're saying that they were catechized correctly. They were instructed out of the law correctly. That's another claim of arrogance that they're making. And then the last thing that I want you to notice here, it's in verse 19, is that they were, have a special task. They're confident that you, Paul is saying, you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Paul is saying here that you think you've got this special ability, and we could certainly spend some time there, but time will not allow this morning because this is going to be a a one-part sermon, not a two-part sermon. But we could certainly go there where they were supposed to be a light for the people, for the other nations, and they failed in every area. And yet here they're making these special claims that they are making right here. And so under this special task, we see in verse 20, we can break it further as I did for your outline there for your future study. That first thing is they're a corrector of the foolish. They were instructors. They could correct the foolish. They could correct those who don't know. They had an ability to teach and to train and to preach. This is the claim that they're making for themselves. The second thing is they, they were a teacher of the mature. They knew how to teach. They knew how to instruct. These are the things. And these things by, in and of themselves, we should, we should also say here, Are not bad, but when they're used in a way from pride, from arrogance, as these folks are, as we will see, from then it is indeed not profitable for their spiritual health. Well, that's the charge that Paul is making, or that's the claim, I'm sorry, that's the claim that these folks are making, and now Paul will charge them or challenge them on the claim that they're making. In verses 21 to 23, we see it there. And we see it's hypocrisy, right? I mean, it says that those of you who teach, in verse uh, 21, he's, and you, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? And you who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? (laughs) You who boast in the law, though you're breaking in the law, do you dishonor God? He just keeps layering it on, charge after charge, challenge after challenge after challenge. Paul is making to these folks. They claim they teach. They claim they preach. They say these things. They abhor idols, and yet they rob temples, they say, and they boast, but not in God. Verse 23, you who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? They boast that they have the law. They boast that they have these abilities. And yet in the midst of their bo- boasting, the hypocrisy, the pride, the arrogance has blinded them. That they can't even see that they themselves are hypocritical, what they're saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, it tells us that let him who boasts, boast in God, boast in Yahweh. This is the challenge that Paul is giving them here this morning and is calling them out. You're saying all these things, and that's good, but you yourself are failing in all these things. That's bad. And so last here in verse 24, we do see the charge. Paul says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. So because of the example, and this is sobering. Because of the example of these people, the name of God is blasphemed. As I studied this verse a little bit and just dwelt upon this verse a little bit, it's quite sobering. How many times have I, by my way of living, by my way of preaching, you know, I was thinking. You know, I've probably preached here now. I don't know. Anybody counting? 400 sermons? And since my sermons are short, only 20 minutes or so, um, oh, okay, let's chip up Maybe 30 minutes. (laughs) You know how long that is? 200 hours. 200 hours. That's sobering. You know what I have to give an account for? 200 hours worth. And that's just in the pulpit. How much of the rest of my life is out there that I'm going to have to give an account for? How many ways does my speech not match my actions? And in that way, I'm blaspheming God. Listen, folks, this is serious. We need to take this to heart. If you think you're, this isn't you, then this is exactly you. We must examine ourselves as we will get to. So how, how, do they, how do they blaspheme God? How does that flesh out? How has that worked out? Well, first, it's to question Jesus. They question Jesus. People look at you, Christian, and they say, well, you, I, pastor, you're not acting like Jesus. And it brings Jesus into question. Talk is cheap when things are good, right? That brings in the questioning truth. They question truth. Look how they act when the world is collapsing. When the world is going good, we can have a great talk about how greatly God is blessing us. And I thank God he is indeed blessing us. But when our world starts crumbling and collapsing, how then do we respond? They question truth when they see how we respond. Truth by the scriptures I'm talking about. The third thing here is they, they question Christianity. But look at them. They say they're such happy people. (laughs) They're not any happier than the rest of the culture. In fact, sometimes they look miserable. They question God's power. How we respond to troubles we cannot explain matters. We've all heard it and we've all asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? How do we respond in those moments that we want an answer for that we cannot answer? Do we give it over to God and say, "Well, I don't know. God is sovereign. I am not. God sees the future. I don't. Or do we grumble? Do I grumble? Cheryl, no amens. Oh, Women are supposed to be silent in church, remember? <laughs> huh? But yeah, that's me. I don't respond all that well, and in this way, I'm a hypocrite. In this way, I am dishonoring God. That's the charge of hypocrisy that Paul is making here. Let us look just briefly, just briefly at the uh, commentary. I should have probably come up with a word than commentary. I'll still work on that. I'll get one this afternoon. That's how it works. But Paul kind of is like, he laid it all out, and now he's taking these next few verses, and he's going to kind of get more specific in the ways that they're being hypocritical in the way they do things. I mean, he, he, he talked about law 22 times, and now in these couple verses here, he's talking about this weird word of circumcision 10 times. What's up with that? These two are certainly and without a doubt related. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 26, Jeremiah says this. Now, this is back in the Old Testament, right? Jeremiah says this. Behold, the days are coming, verse 23, what am I, 23? Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands that he knows me and that I am Yahweh who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. I delight in these things. Then he says this, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, that I will punish Listen, all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised, they are, they're, they're, they're Jewish and yet they're not acting like Jewish. They're, they're, they're saved, but they're not acting that way. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, all those who are inhabiting the desert who clip the hair on their temples. Hmm, hair's not long enough or too short maybe. But these are these people who live in there. They're nothing but heathens. That's what Jeremiah is saying. But he continues. For all the nations are uncircumcised. All these people, God hasn't chosen them. They're not Jewish people. They're not chosen by God. Then he continues. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. You see, all the way back here in Old Testament, God was already pointing to a time to what he's going to fulfill right here, and this is now what Paul is saying right here in front of us here. In fact, David, in his song of lament, he said in Psalm 51, verse 6, you desire God truth from the innermost being. Your translation might say from the innermost part, something like that. David understood that what God wants is not not the facade that David, King David, was presenting, But God wanted this sincere heart. And David certainly revealed, or God had to, Nathan had to reveal David's heart to him. See, we understand that something greater, something better, something more is coming than the law. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says here, see that no one takes you captive through Philosophy. Through empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of the deity and bodily form, and in him, being Jesus, you have been made complete, and he, Jesus, is head over all rule and authority. And in Jesus, you also, now listen, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. You in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you catch it? This is now the New Testament. The law, circumcision, all that is now replaced by baptism. This is the meaning and this is the purpose of baptism. Circumcision Old Testament. New Testament is baptism. That'll be time for another day. I just want to put that out there, and maybe someday we'll pick that up. But that's the transition that we see was already coming all the way back in the Old Testament, and now here we're seeing it in the new. And now here, Paul is challenging these people. Listen, you've got to get rid of the traditions. you've got to get rid of following these laws and following these things. You must You must move and take an inward, an inward examination. You see, the Greek is condemned, the Jew is condemned. There is none righteous, no, not one. The whole world is guilty before God. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. All are equally lost. That's depressing. How are you justified? How is a person made right with God? Can we make any of these claims that they were making? Is it because we rely upon our nationality? I'm an American. I think there's some that believe that. But... I I depend upon my nationality. I depend upon my baptism. I depend upon my church membership, certainly the way I was raised. I depend upon my theological understanding. This can certainly be a trap for me. I got it all figured out. I got the system down. I do, actually. (laughs) No, never mind. Come on now. (laughs) Right? Do we depend upon these things? Is this what we depend upon to be right with God? Look at the last half. Of verse 29. I want to look at the last half of verse 29. Not by the letter. By the spirit. And his praise is not from men. But from God. From whom do we receive praise? Maybe the better question is from whom do we want praise? Praise. That's the root of hypocrisy right there. Our desires and our praise. The things that we want, we know what to say, we know how to act, but our desires may be different than that, and we act and we do things in a certain way because we want to see, receive praise from those who say, what a good preacher you are. Now, you, I can't fool you anymore, though, right? But these are the two things are the root of hypocrisy, our desires, and our praise. We must examine ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it tells us to test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. And to prepare us for communion in two weeks. Maybe we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And maybe you can spend some time there as we prepare ourselves for communion where it says that whoever eats this bread, Jesus says, or eats the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, an unworthy way. She'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself. We must take communion serious. When you are asked why or how you are saved, how do you answer? What do you say? Works or faith? It can't be both can't be both. has to be one or the other. Ephesians 2.8, of course, tells us, grace you are saved through faith. It's not of works. It's not of your own doing. Why? So that no one can boast. See, that's the bad news, right? Your inward parts are a disaster. Stop being a hypocrite about it. That's the bad news. Now, here's the good news, right? We must press in and lean into Jesus. See, that's what communion is about. That's what this self-examination is about. And that's what it's about when we don't look at the law. We don't look at all the rules. Obviously, the rules and the law, they matter. But what matters is what's in our heart. And we know, and you know, that what's in there often, we don't really care that much for. But we know also that it's not what we have done, but it's what Jesus has done. It's what Christ has done on our behalf. All we must do is totally and fully and completely surrender to that. Surrender to Him. That's it. There's nothing we can do. something nothing you can do from our relationship with Christ. Certainly, a behavior flows from that, but not because of the behavior that we have accepted Christ, right? We must examine ourselves. Father, I just... Lord, I don't know. Sometimes these things are Frustrating. Lord, even as we think and spend a lot of time in some of these verses and some of these passages, and and I realize what's within my heart and how often I fail. and How many more times, Lord, can you forgive me? How many more times can you pick me up and scrape me up off the ground and dust me off? As many times as needed, that's how many times. And so, Lord, I pray that as we reflect upon what it means to be faithful to you, And we don't get caught up in the trap. We don't get caught up with presenting this facade. And we don't pretend to be somebody that we're not, but that we're open and honest, first and foremost, with you, with ourselves, with others around us. And it's when the genuineness, it's when the authenticity of our own examinations, that true healing, that true joy, that true comfort, the true relationships can only come from that. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to examine ourselves not only today, but each and every week, and that you wouldn't just leave us hanging in that place of self-examination, but also pull us out of that and give us the true joy of our salvation that is only found in you. pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.